creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. I am your host, Danny J. Have you ever put something out into the world, launched a creative endeavor, a website, a book, sold tickets for an event, or even just launched a new piece of work onto the internet on social media and just been super disappointed? with the results. I mean, if you haven't, then I kind of hate you because <laughs> because how dare you? I mean, I we all have had that experience. In my experience, the results of almost every single creative launch, all those different kinds we're talking about, never really match the high hopes that I have for them. And I always feel like I'm kind of left feeling like a loser that sucks, that nobody likes. And it just feels super vulnerable every time that it blows up in your face. It's just embarrassing. Even if nobody else knew what your expectations were, you still end up feeling embarrassed even to your own self that you got your hopes up in that way. If you have ever put any of your work out into the public in any scenario, you've probably made yourself vulnerable in this way. You've made yourself vulnerable to be crushed emotionally. And when you get crushed like that, you get less and less likely to try it again and take that risk. It is a huge problem because launching new endeavors out into the world is one of the most essential pieces to a thriving creative practice. And if you refuse to do it, or you refuse to get good at it, if you really burn yourself in this way, you're gonna have a super hard time thriving as a career creative. So in this episode, I want to completely rethink how we launch new creative endeavors into the world so that we not only get better results, but we feel a lot better about whatever the results may be so that we can continue to show up time and time again and put our stuff out into the world. Let's go. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. I 
I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Chapter one, you are not 90s rock rapper Beck. The first thing that I think you got to do to approach creative launches differently is to believe it in your heart. You are not 90s Beck. You are not a loser, baby. Do you remember that Beck song, the Soy Un Perdedor? I'm a loser, baby, so why don't you kill me? That's like the anthem of the failed launch. If you've ever put tickets out there or you put some on Instagram and it's just, you know, snooze fest, that's the song that plays in my head of like, I'm a loser. But the first step to getting back on that horse is getting really good at not believing that voice in your head. I really believe that being excellent and being consistent about showing up and launching new things is completely and utterly a integral piece to a, to any creative practice. And you, I think one of the things you got to do is you got to realize that that poor performance in the past, those times when you really fell on your face, they don't necessarily mean that you did something wrong and they don't necessarily, they definitely don't mean you're a loser and you suck and nobody likes you or your art, <laughs> no matter how much it might feel like this. Just imagine someone, maybe Connor or, or Frank. Hey, Frank. Uh -huh. Frank's always just here helping out. Can you just put that little bit on a loop of <laughs> you, you suck or, or you're a loser. You suck and nobody likes you or your art. Just put that on a loop. Take that out of context. Be like, this is the kind of creative pep talks that Andy <laughs> brings you. Don't you want some of that? Okay, I'll try. You're a loser and you suck. Nobody likes you or your art. You're a loser and you suck. Nobody likes you or your art. You're a loser and you suck. Nobody likes you or your art. You're a loser and you suck. Nobody likes you or your art. But no matter how bad it feels like that when you're in that moment, I think detaching yourself from that and learning to not believe that voice is essential. I'll say it one more time. A failed launch does not mean that you're a loser, you suck, and nobody likes you. 
It probably just means that like most creatives, you're naturally more concerned with dreaming up and building something awesome. You're not alone. I am also a creative dreamer builder myself. I can even think of as far back as like the summer between fourth and fifth grade. Man, I was, I remember I was getting the hugest vision for my 11th birthday party. I was like, I, I told my cousins, I'm like, yo, this is going to be the biggest bash ever. I invited everybody I knew. I'm not just talking about fourth graders. I told them I'm talking about fifth graders. I'm not just talking about boys. I'm talking about girls at this party. The first party with, with everybody that I know. I'm talking Nerf Wars and a pool party. I'm saying sharks and minnows, trampoline, video game tournaments, pizza, presents. I'm not just talking cake here. I'm talking about DQ Oreo Blizzard ice cream cake. And it's July, maybe we'll even have fireworks, poppers, sparklers, snakes, tanks, bottle rockets, the whole kit and caboodle. And after what seemed like a million years of just like hyping it, talking about it, the day arrived, my cousins were there, my two best cousins, and I were sitting, waiting for the guests to arrive for the most epic mega birthday party of all time. And my best friend, Robbie, was the first to arrive. And my best friend, Robbie, was the last to arrive. <laughs> because that's right, nobody else showed up to the party. And it was one of the most embarrassing experiences in my entire life up to that moment. I've had plenty worse <laughs> after that. Being a career creative myself, plenty of blunders, public experiences of humiliation that just became uh, a, a regular occurrence a, as they do. But the shame of when you build something up like that to your loved ones, to yourself, and then just totally blow it, it is absolutely unbearable. And I never wanted to experience that feeling ever again. Have you ever had a moment that is so embarrassing that it's like a swarm of bees got stuck inside of you? That's like true real embarrassment, you might not remember, like pause and just think about a time when you were really, truly embarrassed. When you're five minutes into a 60 minute talk and you're like, you, you get that sting, the, the embarrassment be, and you're like, oh man, this is the wrong talk for these people. And you have to keep going because it's a 60 minute talk and the bees of embarrassment sting and sting and sting. And you're two hours into like a new Kickstarter and only your weirdo best friend's parents or backers at a $2 level. They didn't even select a reward. Like they're like, I don't actually like this. I just want to show support. It stings. And I was, I remember just like treading water in my pool for hours with my cousins and my best friend, Robbie and just foregoing all the other pre-planned party activities because I was so allergic to the sting of embarrassment that I couldn't even move or think or talk. <laughs> I was just like, oh man, I'm, I look like such an idiot. If you need to remember that sting, just think about when you say a word wrong that you've only read 
how bad that's how even the just most inconsequential thing just feels so freaking stupid. Your brain is like, say your new location has a lot of great amenities and your brain's like, launch it, launch that word. You've only read and you start speaking and you're like, yeah, this house has a ton of great anemones and the bees of embarrassment just swarm into your soul right on that instant. So you're like, I'll be, a, I'll pull a Mitch Hedberg writing a letter to his dad. Uh, and just lean in and be like, yeah, my new house is mostly underwater. The anemones are just rampant around here. I'm like Winnie the Pooh with those, uh, just a little smackerel of the sweet honey of seeming intellectual for just a second. I've risked the bees a million times with a new, with, you know, trying, workshopping a new word and just absolutely <laughs> regretting it. Like stick to the words, you know, stick to the waterfalls you're familiar with Andy good lord there's nothing more embarrassing than when you say the word wrong and it's Hermione Granger on the other side being like it's embarrassing not embarrassing and you're and you can't even face the shame so you just buckle down and you think you know what I'm just gonna dramatically here right in this moment improve my stance I'm gonna go from saying a word wrong to being someone who just invented a new word just create a new fork in the etymology of this word they're going to come back to this podcast and they're going to be like you know actually it should be embarrassing like that makes more sense <laughs> you're like you're like yeah i oh, i know i meant to say it that way i just think it i just was critiquing it <laughs> i didn't say it wrong scholars are looking back looking at this podcast being like that's where it, it forked off But seriously, we should change it. I'm not kidding. It should be em embarrassing. I've never been embarrassed and felt like embarrassing. It's embarrassing-ing. What's it? No, you don't. Maybe one time. I, maybe. Well, may, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Most people have a fight song. And I have an embarrassed song. I have, I've, I've epically launched just so many embarrassing things that I've got its, it's got its own anthem. And you know what it is. Soy un perdedor. Loser by Beck. Cause I'm a loser and I suck. And everybody doesn't just hate my art. They hate me. I felt that sting so many times. Every time that I put something out in the world and it just blows up in my face, does not do what I think it's going to do. I'm absolutely positive that I am a loser. And I feel certain. But, you know, even when I was in fourth grade, I'm looking back and I'm like, I was so certain that I was just a piece of crap. And I think, was that actually true? Like looking back, I can actually think I had more friends than ever that year. Like my instinct to have a big party bigger than I've ever had was not the wrong instinct. I don't actually think. Was I a loser or was it just that I hadn't put the same amount of time and care into dreaming up and creating the party as much as I did the invitations? How would have things have been different if I had taken the invitations as seriously as the party. 
would things have been different if I had made invitations? <laughs> yes, I've been neglected to make invitations. Judge all all you want, but I I I did what probably I do with my creative work all the time. I relied mostly on word of mouth. Like I've heard that's how things catch on. Probably even as a fourth grader, I was like, you don't invitations. You don't need to invite anybody. Don't need to go to all the trouble, RSVPing, all the dating time, whatever. It's like, man, like bonfires catch on with kindling, but you still got to light the match, man. Unless you're a boy scout or a genius, you better soak that thing in lighter fluid as well. Don't actually do this. Don't reference this podcast after you've, had a fire incident. I'm not recommending it, but yes, I just relied on word of mouth. I called Sierra and I was like, Hey, can you tell Amanda and Kayla, by the way? And I asked Jeff to tell Mike and Tyler and, and so on and so forth. I only made a few calls in retrospect and I could have given them maybe more notice than two days before the party. Seriously, as a parent, I'm thinking back at the, uh, my kids, one of my kids is turning 11 this year and if he had said to me hey, in the middle of summer, there's a kid that's having a birthday party uh, in two days. Uh, and um, my my other friend told me about it. Can I go? I'd have been like, forget it. Sounds pretty dodgy, which I can say because we're a half British family. But I could have had this party at the end of the school year when everyone was still around and connected. I could have had invites. I could have had RSVP. I could have had a decent amount of time ahead of the party for parents to actually make some space in the schedule to be there. If this party mattered to me this much, I could have done it justice in the way of properly inviting people, giving it a real shot. So maybe, maybe fourth grade Andy wasn't a loser. I don't know. I can't say. But I know he didn't suck, except for he he did suck at invitations. That That is for sure. And the same could be true for you. In art, we tend to believe that everything is about the quality of the art. But look around. Are the best artists the most successful? I don't actually think so. Or is it that some figure out and dedicate time and space to figure out the right process for getting people to get a taste of that beautiful DQ Oreo Blizzard ice cream cake? It's worth it just for giving them a taste of that at the very least. You know, some people take more care with every piece of that journey to make sure that people have a proper chance to give the thing they're launching a try. And so I think the first step to creating a, a process for launching new endeavors and being good at doing this on a regular basis is not believing the lie that you suck, that you're a loser and everyone hates you and your art, baby. But maybe you just suck at this part of the process. And in chapter two, let's break down what that process actually is. Chapter two, trust the process. The second piece to becoming great at launching creative endeavors is to trust the process. 
to a kid, whether people come to your birthday party or not has to do with just one thing. It's pass or fail. Do they like you or do they hate your freaking guts? As an adult, you can see that it's not just a, it's not that it's, you can see there's a thing about feeling safe about whether you're able to plan for your kid to go to this party. There is a process and there's a process for an actual reason. The invitation tells me that parents are involved here that know how to use a printer, the exact day and time and location, as well as where, you know, what are the kids going to be doing there? Knowing weeks in advance so that we can make some actual room in the schedule, having an RSVP thing to build some trust over the phone. Like there are all these reasons. And, you know, if you're on the phone, it just doesn't feel right. You're like, yeah, I think you're going to skip out on this party. It's not. It's not pass or fail. It's not always even. It's often never personal. And the same is true, I think, for creative work. When we make something and it doesn't get the response that we hoped for, we can put all of the blame or credit unfairly on the merit of the piece of the work. If people like it, if it goes viral, it's a huge smash, we're like, it's because it's amazing. Or if people hate it or nobody, it's crickets. We're like, it must actually suck. But often the deeper work, the more nuance and layers that it has, the more elaborate the invitation process actually needs to be. If you have some true creative gold, like that's not going to come through on a TikTok alone. You've got, you've got to have, and if you're going to get people to actually engage with something beyond some TikTok that they just flow by or reels or Instagram feed or whatever, like you're going to have to have the patience and care and do the work that needs to get that audience super warm and open and attentive to fully receive what this thing is, this creative offering you have is. And just like the invite and the RSVP chat, there are a bunch of steps in between people having no clue you exist to getting them to your creative party and fully trusting the experience enough to be in that place. Some creative industries have more of a pipeline in place than others. And one of the ones that I think has a really inspiring pipeline for getting people that don't even know you have a party to at the party and having a great time and eating that DQ cake this episode is sponsored by Dairy Queen, apparently. I don't know if that's all over the country or just the Midwest or what, but uh, we, we ate a lot of Dairy Queen <laughs> growing up. Um, what the heck am I talking about? I think that we could all learn from the invitation process that happens in the music world. How does someone go from never having heard a band to being all in at the creative party at a show that they love, decked out with merch and supporting the artist. How do you how do you do that process? All right, let's go through that journey in the music world and see what we can learn as creators in any field about getting someone to come to that creative party. We're going to look at each part of the music industry journey 
and we're going to see if we have these things in our own journey, if we can learn something for our own creative practice, whether you're a musician or not. Okay. The first stage is openers. How do you find new music? Word of mouth probably does play a role sometimes, but I feel like more than ever, my attachment to new music often germinates from a, a place of discovery. Like nobody told me about this. It almost just felt like it happened. This happens when we often are associating a band or a musician with somebody who we already love and trust. I call this category openers because that's mostly how it used to go down. Like it used to be there was, I mean, we still have this, but I don't think it's as, as big of a factor as it used to be. I think there's some other equivalents in our online kind of ecosystem um, these days. But, you know, when you go watch a band who's on tour, they usually have an opener. Now, in modern times, I think there's two other ways this kind of happens. It either is features in a song where one artist is guesting in another artist's song or just related artists within whatever music app you listen to your music with. And so are you collaborating with people that you want to align with? That's the bottom line of this stage. There has to be a way in that goes beyond just people like it so much that they force their opinions on their friends because most people don't like being told what kind of art to consume. Most people don't like to skip the discovery phase of getting into something new. That's a huge part of the process. And this is your most effective way to get on someone's radar, new potential audience members who have never heard of you, don't even know you exist. Illustrators and fine artists, the new feature on Instagram of a collaborative post is really freaking sweet for this. You know, we've done some collaborative episode art. We started doing that right before they launched this feature very serendipitously. And it's just, it's worked out really well. It's really cool to do a collaboration and then make it a collaborative post and get it on both feeds and get this really cool kind of features situation. If you want to get into that in the process of tagging a collaborator, you now have the option to invite them as such. And if they accept it, it'll be on both feeds. On the related artists front, this comes from the genre. The company you keep, the influences you reference, group shows, group zones in any way that you can kind of own a subgenre and align with other artists in that niche, that will contribute to people who have never heard of you giving you a shot. So do you, are you intentional? Do you give time and care to this part of the invitation process and not just to the creative work? The second piece of that process is a single. The next step of the journey is a single. Do you have a piece of work that is designed to be accessible? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not asking you to be inauthentic. I'm not saying, what do you think they would like just to give me a chance? I'm not saying that at all. I'm asking you, you know, you have variety in your work. Maybe it helps to take a look through your portfolio of work and identify uh, in your recent work what piece feels both super authentic, but also has the lowest barrier to entry for others to engage with it. This is your single. 
Like it, back in the day, this was the radio single. This is the thing that they would play on the radio. And this is still in play to a certain degree. No pun intended. Still in play by not a radio single, but a playlist single. Like getting on a Spotify curated playlist has become a huge part of the musician's invitation process, you know, and, and getting heard and, and being known and promoting and isolating and highlighting which song is the single is part of that process. Like you do the extra work to release this single as a, you know, a, a pre uh, MP3, like what MP3? <laughs> I meant to say EP, fresh MP3s. I don't know what, I don't know what that, uh, man, I'm getting older now, buddy. You got to make your MP3s, but you do, you got to have, you got to do the work, figure out no matter where, what kind of creative work you do, you've got to be the one that isolates and highlights and promotes the accessible, the most accessible things that you've made. Now, maybe that means it's the opening image on your website, the PNG that you email, see PNG MP3 that you email to art directors. Maybe, maybe you just highlight your biggest hits on your Instagram story highlights in your portfolio. The bottom line is don't make them dig, select and highlight your single and where these people should start. What is the easiest point of entry into your work? Do you have a single? You have that part of the process. In podcasting, we do this with trailers. Like we highlight a couple episodes that we feel like are good entry points into this podcast. Okay, the third piece of this process is the album. Being an opener transforms people from having never heard of you to being aware that you exist. The single takes them from awareness to piquing their interest. Now they're interested people. The album takes them from people who are just interested to people who are appreciators of what you do. This is their chance to start to become a fan. Your album is the full statement of your creative work. For client-focused illustrators and artists and designers, it might be your online portfolio. That's your current album that you're promoting, that you're touring. Filmmakers, it could be an actual movie or a short film. Fiction writers, the single could be like the short story and the book is the album. Nonfiction writers, the single might be an article that you wrote for a publication and the album might be the nonfiction book. Fine artists have a single piece in the group show and the album is their solo show. You see, every single medium has a way of exploring these different parts of the invitation process. Whatever your medium is, the album is the complete statement that acts as a full picture of this is who you are at this stage as a creator. With the single, you now have some audience that are interested and giving you actual attention. It's time to show them the best of what you can do. And you can even risk stuff that doesn't immediately make sense. This is where you can put more depth or, and, and make something that's a little bit more challenging that isn't maybe instantly sugary, sweet, enjoyable. You know, I feel like there's a lot of talk about how social media 
dilutes creative depth because you can't do anything experimental or challenging on these platforms. And I totally, I get that. You know, there's part of me that thinks that there is, there are elements of the way that we're consuming creative stuff on social media. That's not good for our brains. Like, you know, but I, I don't have, we, we can't open a can of worms right now. But I just want to say, like, you know, it's not unlike the predecessors of TV to movies, radio to the record. Um, you get them hooked there and then you move them to a space like this podcast where you can really take them on a long form journey. You know, the long form journey, I feel like we're all worried about it, but man, there's no more long form creative journey like TV. And there are so many shows that have kept us for seasons and seasons and seasons. You, you get there with a, a, a fresh pilot that's, that interests them, that hooks them. And then once you got them hooked, you can challenge them a bit more. You can take them on that longer journey and you can create those longer form payoffs that are, um, you know, uh, maybe not as sugary sweet, but a lot more meaningful as an artist and as the audience. That's what the album can do. And here we are, the last stage of the journey, the party. They call it a show. It's in the music world. It's the show. As people move from one stage to the next, it should be said that it's certain that with every single stage, there's going to be less people along for the ride. And that's a good thing. It's a natural process. But the ones that are left these are the people who fuel and fund your creative practice. They're the people that you actually want in that room. These are the diehards. They want the full experience. Your creative work acts as a symbol for their identity. Like they have become true fans of what you do. You have successfully articulated yourself uh, and expressed yourself and others like you are now grateful to be seen by how you have been given that inside words and, and they've seen themselves through your work and, and they've used it as shorthand for expressing their identity to other people. Like these are the people you want in the room and you don't want everybody that heard the feature or the single or even tasted the album to be in this space. Like it's a good process. And yeah, the first time the show doesn't have enough people and you're like, ah, uh, you know, you're, you feel the embarrassing uh, all over again. But over time, that compounds. Only here are you gonna kind of, are you gonna be able to make the kinds of sales that will actually fuel your practice in the long run? Any musician will tell you the same thing. Whether you actually buy their music or not, like if you buy the vinyl records or not, regardless of that, the only real living that you can make as a performing artist is selling tickets and merch at the show. If you're a recording musician, your show might be a, not a show. It might be a sync, you know, licensing your work for commercial use in a podcast or on TV or in an actual commercial. This is the moment this, the show is the last part of the journey and it's not only acceptable to initiate a sale here, it's actually expected. It's not just expected, it's desired. This is one of the most important pieces of the whole episode. If you didn't hear anything, if you're like, man, I don't freaking care about the swarm of embarrassment. I don't, I don't care about your little 
stupid pool party that went awry. I don't, that's fine. That doesn't matter. You can take or leave all that garbage. Um, You know, I'm just trying to make it sticky. I'm trying to make it something that you can hold on to and remember by attaching it to my own personal (laughs) shame and trying to model being vulnerable and launching something that who knows if it'll work. I don't know. But if you get them to the show, whatever your equivalent of a show is, it's not just expected that you're going to sell them something. It is desired. You know, my wife and I are huge fans of Katie Crutchfield and her band Waxahachie. And when we went to her show in the fall, we bought a pretty big haul. Hats, shirts, records, the whole kitten caboodle. We bought, we bought the whole ball of wax and the hatchie, the whole dang thing. And not only were we not put off by all the different offers that they had at the merge table, we were thrilled to see all these different ways we could celebrate and own this part of our creative identity. You know, if there hadn't been merch or even less merch at that table, I would have been super bummed. Like this is the zone where selling your work isn't an ask, but it's actually a gift. This is the space where you really fund your practice as a career creative. Chapter three, our final chapter, the call to adventure. The call to adventure this week is to translate the process to your medium. And even musicians, I I think there's a thing, a takeaway here even though it's established in your world. Here's the thing. If you're a musician, filmmaker, stand-up comedian, comedy writer, visual artist, illustrator, whatever, whoever you are, these steps of the creative invitation process are present in your field. If there is anybody thriving in your creative industry, those are people who have figured out the art of taking people who have never heard of them, don't even know they exist, all the way to being fans of what they do. And the pattern in your world might be this process, these different buckets that we talked about. They might not be as obvious as they are in the music world. And actually, I think that's a good thing. Because other people aren't realizing this is a process, you are able to take advantage of it in a more intentional way. And so doing that little bit of homework, a little bit of call to adventure, a little bit of action on this and trying to translate, you know, what are, what is my opener? What is my single? What is my album? What is my show? And what, what is the merch at the show that's going to fund this whole operation? Like, how, how are we going to do that? And you can do it whether you're, you know, B to B, like business to business. If you're just, if you're an illustrator who works with clients all the way down, these, these things can apply. You know, your show might be the project. If you can do the extra work to figure out what these things are, you can be in a great position. And it's actually good if it's not super established in your world. And actually look for updates too. We talked, we've sprinkled throughout this episode some updates, like the opener is now the feature or the related artist. They all have new equivalents to what they're doing. Like a postcard in the mail might not be the best shot. It might be highlighting stuff on Instagram reels or what have you. I think in the music world that unfortunately they've been so ransacked by the business side for whatever reason, just seems like they've left so little to the artist. 
And that is super bad news. But the good news is these business folks are really good at designing these sorts of journeys. They actually call them marketing funnels, which sounds just so inhumane when you're talking about creating fans of your work, like putting them in a funnel. Hate that word. But the good news is we can learn from them. And even if you're a musician, this is the thing I highlighted, like there's some takeaway for you. If you can get good at the invitation process and not outsource all of that and realize like, you know, not have the fixed mindset of like, well, I'm an artist, not a business person. You can actually be like, nobody makes a better invitation than an artist. Get the crayons out, man. Like, and make that thing shine. Like if you can learn to be great at these as well, then you won't have to outsource and rely so much on all the other people that are taking these big pieces of the pie. It's just, it's not a, it's not a given. It's not, you, you don't have to play the game that way. So whatever type of work you make, take the time to pause, write out these categories and find fresh new takes on them in your respective creative sector. Here they are, the opener, the single, the album, the show, and the merch what is yours? Write those down and define each of those because you got to have each part of that process or you're leaving a gap and you're leaving people hanging. You're not building a bridge in between those pieces and ultimately getting to a place where you can have that intimate connection with your audience. And if you are in a place where you go through these and you realize like, oh, I've got two or three gaps in this process, do not, don't get overwhelmed. Don't try to do them all at once. This is something that has been on my mind a ton recently. I've been doing some training for exercise. And I'm just aware of like, if things get too overwhelming, if I'm like, man, there's like 50 steps between where I am now and where I want to be, that is the surefire way to completely destroy your motivation and cause you to totally give it up. There have been plenty of times in my creative journey where I was only firing on a couple of these cylinders and it was more than enough for the place that I was in. You do not need to revamp your entire invitation process overnight. It does not have to be perfect. If you could just isolate one of these things that you could make an effort in today in the next couple weeks, just figuring, just getting one more of those pillars up and running can make all the difference. Thank you so much for supporting this show, um, for supporting this creative party that I try to th throw every single week. I really, really, really appreciate it. And um, just Thanks for what you do. Massive shout out and thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our jingle and, and soundtrack. Huge thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing this show so beautifully. And massive thanks to the rest of the CPT team, Katie Chandler, Ryan Appleton, Sophie Miller, AKA Sophie Pizza, um, for all of the content support and emotional support uh, and everyday support that goes into making this show possible. Thank you so much. And until we speak again, stay pepped up.
You're a loser and you suck. Nobody likes you or your art. You're a loser and you suck. Nobody likes you or your art. You're a loser and you suck. Nobody likes you or your art. You're a loser and you suck. Nobody likes you or your art.